scripture reading uh, for today begins with Psalm 42. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that scripture on uh, page 104. And the scripture will extend into Psalm 43. As a deer pants for streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food all day and night, and while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Send out your light and your truth. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. And the community of believers said, that's one of those you just want to say, sing it one more time, Rebecca, and we'll go right to the table. Beautiful, beautiful piece, incredible words there. It was just a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night that I talked about these two psalms, and I was just really struck by the, the great insights from the people who were there. And, and around the same time, I was counseling with a couple of Sanford students who were really struggling with, I would say one was despair, one I would say is depression. And I thought of this passage that David wrote because he's despairing. Uh, he has, as we would say, the blues at, at the least. Uh, we're familiar with the blues, whether uh, Robert Johnson or uh, the greatest band ever, Allman Brothers. And many think that the blues started with the St. Louis blues by W.C. Handy, but it really goes back to the King David blues, because these are really a blues song as a unit. They really go together, Psalm 42 and 43. We could talk about the history behind that. The folks who were translating the King James Bible 
uh, kind of messed up and it should be one unit, but that's not a big problem at all. But I think this is David's uh, blues song, if you will. And uh, it's interesting because it's referred to as a Moskill psalm. And, and to break that down, it just basically means this is a teaching psalm. And that fascinates me because really what he's doing here is being utterly transparent about the pain he's feeling along with the hope that he has in God. It's fascinating because he's trying to teach us. What it's really doing is helping you and me learn to handle despair and how to come through despair, depression, discouragement. It's a teaching psalm. Now, he wrote it most likely, in fact, I'm quite convinced that he wrote it during Absalom's rebellion. There was a point where his son rebelled against David, sent David into exile, and he was really being hunted down. And temporarily, Absalom was in power, and David was far away from home. He was driven into exile outside of Jerusalem, couldn't make it home, and he was despairing, so discouraged, but he refuses to succumb to it. At the same time, he's very honest about his feelings, which I appreciate, which brings to this Moskill teaching psalm. How do you and I move out of despair? You know, what is the first thing we need to do? Well, to be honest... The first thing you do is be honest. Be honest about how you're doing. Be transparent. I know we talk about that a lot here, but that is really the first step to healing. And it's amazing to me how honest David is with his struggles. This really is a psalm of hope, but he's not escapist about it. He's really saying, look, here are the symptoms I'm dealing with. And if you walk through these verses, you realize he really is dealing with symptoms of depression and despair. Let's just walk through it. First of all, verses 1 and 2. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? What he's saying there with the question is, when can I get back to the temple? I feel so far from God. To be at the temple was to really experience God's presence in a profound way back then. When can I get back there to the temple? He's longing for God and finding solace in God. Not only that, you go to Uh, Verse 3, and there's really three elements of depression here that you find. Day and night I have only tears for food. Now, for one thing, he's crying a lot, but what else has he lost? His appetite. Day and night I have only tears for food. Very common with people in despair. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? So not only has he lost his appetite, doesn't want to eat much, Uh, Not only is he crying a lot, but he feels a a strong lack of support. And his heart is breaking. He's really worn out. Go to the next verse. Verse 4, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. Literally, where it says my heart is breaking in the Hebrew, it says my soul is pouring out. You ever been there? My soul is pouring out. What is it saying? I'm worn out. I'm emotionally drained. I don't know if I can go on any further. Not only that, but he's isolated. Go on to verse 6. Now I am deeply discouraged from, a distant, from distant Mount Hermon, the source of Jordan, from the land of Mount Miser. It, he is isolated, far away from home. He is homesick, and homesick for a sense of peace within him. Not only that, he's overwhelmed. Go to verse 7. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and your surging tides sweep over me. Jonah actually took that very verse, and when he was in the fish, I'm glad I didn't experience that that the other week, but when he was in the fish, he quoted this verse, and it's a verse of being overwhelmed during a terribly turbulent time, and he's in grief. Look at verse 9. 
Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Not just human enemies, but enemies that would get you down. Whatever uh, misfortune comes your way, whatever difficulty comes your way, all of those enemies. Now, doesn't that sound like somebody in depression and in despair? You just rattle through those and you see all of these symptoms that we're familiar with today. And it's interesting that you have the word discouraged four times in this verse 5 or 6, verse 11, and then in chapter 43, verse 5. The word for discouraged here that David uses four times literally means to be laid low in the pit. To be laid low in a pit. Think of that. We talk about living in the pits sometimes. That's exactly what it's talking about. And not only that, but it seems like people don't care. It seems as if they're insensitive to us. You know, we use that, what is it, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what will never hurt me? Words, but words can. And David gets to that in verse 10. He says, their taunts break my bones. He, he acknowledges, I'm sorry, but when most of us say, oh, the words really don't affect me, yes, they do. When we release them toward others, it's difficult. And when it's hurled at us, it's difficult as well. Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Now, I really admire David because of his honesty. Now, he says, yes, there's hope in the Lord, and he makes that very clear as well. But he's saying, this is where I am. And we need to be able to do that again, and I know I say this again and again, but we live in a very highly image-conscious context here. Mountain Brook, uh, suburban, and it's hard for you and me sometimes to, to acknowledge weakness within us but we've got to make that first step to be honest with others and especially with God and when you do that one of the things you really come to is you remember how God has been faithful to you in the past David uses the key word remember a couple of times let's look at verse four first of all my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be and he's not getting nostalgic in a negative way he's saying you know this strengthens me when I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God as David would do singing for joy giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration in other words I remember being strengthened when I was with my brothers and sisters who followed God as well to, with me to the temple we would say what I remember people who have been there for me in the church that's what he's saying I remember that go to verse 6 now I am deeply, there's that word discouraged, now I'm in the pit, but I will remember you. Even when I'm in the latter part of that just means when I'm far away from the temple, far away from my family, far away from my people, I will remember. Remember is a powerful word in Hebrew thought, Hebrew culture. It, it, it really was used as a tool and really as a weapon, a spiritual weapon toward the good, toward the hope. It was an act of determination really an exercise in determination. He's determined to remember how God has helped him in the past. And you and I can do that. We can remember how faithful he has been for us. What's that marvelous verse in Amazing Grace? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will do what? Lead me home. And he remembers these things. He remembers being in church and worshiping, celebrating God, giving thanks what are some ways that God has been there for you in the past? Maybe you need to recall that because of something you're struggling with right now. That's one reason I'm wanting us to share grace along the journey, not just up here as we do on many Sundays, but in Sunday school class as we fan the flames of hope in that way, telling our stories, strengthening one another. And speaking of strengthening, there's this powerful refrain 
that you find three times in this psalm put together as one. And it's the same wording every time. It starts at verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now that appears there, verse 11, and then chapter 43, verse 5. Three times there's this amazing refrain of hope. So even as David, David is being so honest about the difficulties he's facing, even as he feels beat down and bruised, he says, you know what, in spite of all this, this is the bottom line. We sang earlier about the foundation being nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness upon that rock. That's what he's saying. My house is built upon a rock, and I'm going to refuse to be discouraged even as I'm being battered about. Three times he said. And again, it's it's not being escapist. It's really, you you sense a later echo of that. What, What did Paul say even as he's going through so many difficult things? He said, in everything give In everything, give what? Thanks. In everything, give thanks. Now, it's not entitled Grace Along the Journey, but Henry Nouwen has a wonderful book called Bread for the Journey. And I want to just read this because he really expands upon what uh, Paul says about in everything, give thanks. And I think we've got the quote up here. Henry Nouwen says this, To be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Again, the work of remembering that the Hebrews did, which David did. Still, we are truly grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to the present moment through many dangers, toils, and snares. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Let's not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we are now and trust that we will soon see in it the guiding hand of a loving God. And we can do that in the future, but still first in the present. We've got to celebrate that God is with us in the present. That's exactly what David does. Look at at verse 8. It says, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praising, praying to God who gives me life. He does that every day, every day. He says, when I go to bed at night, I'm ready to give praise to God in the morning for all of his many blessings. Now, um, I cannot help but think of... Uh, What's the song, morning by morning, new mercies I see, what's that wonderful hymn? I'm referencing a lot of hymns this morning, but it's so worth it because so many of them sing to hope out of despair. We were singing hymns of hope uh, at the uh, memorial service of Marcia Hamby's mother. Is Marcia here because I've been in South Africa and didn't get her permission to use this? Well, I'm going to ask her forgiveness now and please tell her I ask forgiveness. But I loved and was honored to preside at her mother's uh, memorial service, and I learned so much about her and was just enchanted by her because apparently she would wake up every morning and quote Psalm 118, verse 24, which is what? This is the day, what? The Lord hath made, let us do what? Rejoice and be glad in it. But sometimes she was so moved by the joy that she would break into, oh, what a beautiful, what? Morning. I know I'm flat. Oh, what a beautiful day. Now, that's not in... uh, the word, that's not in the book of Psalms, it's in the book of Oklahoma. But, uh, 
but she would bust into that, which I thought was great. And by the way, guess what the recessional was at the memorial service? We all just strode out to, oh, what a beautiful morning. It was just great. But she's able to celebrate, you know, with the highs and the lows of life and was determined to do that, remembering his, his blessings each and every morning. Again, it was a spiritual exercise for the Hebrews. It should be that way for you and me as well. Celebrating the gift of this present moment, as John Claypool tells us again and again, life is gift. You know, is there a way that God is being faithful to you in the present uh, to be honest, and there's no reason for, you to, for me to schmooze y'all. Y'all know me well. I've been around here 22 years. It's been a long time. And um, being on the other side of the planet uh, and coming back makes me just really appreciate y'all. I know you're in oh. But in all seriousness, it's amazing to be able to come back and remember how often uh, you have been strengthened by the people here and to see those faces again and... Uh, just means a lot, and I know you've had that same kind of experience here as well. And again, David is saying this is not easy. Read verses 9 and 10. He's lamenting again. But then he gets to verse 11 again. has that wonderful refrain of hope. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and God. I love that word again. He's saying, you know, I'm going to throw this refrain in again and again and again because that's what I'm standing on. But finally, we need to expect God's future intervention and consummation. You know, the final section of this psalm really moves from complaint to petition. Uh, Let's go to chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, which is really part of the, the one psalm as a unit. He says, declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars, for you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Now, this is later in the psalm, and you think, wait a minute, isn't he supposed to tie it up with a pretty bow? No, he still wants to be honest. But what's wonderful about this is that David is now moving from speaking about God to speaking to God. He's not, you know, he's not speaking to himself anymore is a, is a good way of putting it. He's basically saying, God, I need help. You know, he's no longer talking about God behind God's back as if you can. He's bringing about positive petitions to God. Sometimes you and I do that. All we want to do is complain, and all we want to do is maybe question God rather than speak to him directly, which is the greatest of gifts that we can have with him as far as prayer goes. And finally, you see David, when he's finally getting honest in this way, that it's moving toward hope and trust, and this is when things begin to change for him. Can't help but think of another hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Why? All because we do not carry, what, everything to God in prayer, directly. <laughs> we can be so guilty of talking about him, questioning him, but not speaking to him directly. Now you go to verses 3 and 4 and you realize he is getting hopeful. Send out your light and your truth. This is right after he's being honest, saying, God, I need help. Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, that is Jerusalem, the temple, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. He's saying, you know what? Okay, I'm being honest about what I'm struggling with. I'm petitioning you, O God, but I am trusting that I'm going to arrive at the temple one more time, whether physically or spiritually. And you and I will do the same if we trust in him and speak to him rather than talking about him. 
He expected that God was already in the process of restoring him, and that's what we need to do. And I love the temple image again about how wonderful it is for us to gather together as a unit, as a body of Christ, and how that strengthens us. But the great thing is we can do that in the present, but we have the greatest of futures to look forward to as well. You know, what it, if I were to ask you, what do you look forward to the most when you get to the, I will use an old hymn again, the by and by. When you get to heaven, when you get to the ultimate reality that is beyond this reality, what are you looking forward to? You know, no more this or that or this or that, or gaining this, mainly relationship with Christ in all its fullness. Uh, I thought the other day about Philippians 4, 8, which we know and often apply to the present It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I thought about that in relation to what David is talking about here, and I thought, think about how all these things will be a part of our reality beyond this life. Because Paul wants us to do these things now to be more solid disciples and to be more sanctified people. But that's not always easy and it involves work. But think about it. When we get to heaven, these will all be a consistent reality with no end. It's an amazing, amazing gift. Uh, Deanna and I had the pleasure... um, while we were down in South Africa, I had never been to Robben Island where Nelson Mandela was in prison for so many years. And it just so happened that Christo Brand was there. We bumped into him. I think we got a picture of me and him. That's been pushed in a little bit so I can look a little thinner, I guess. But uh, uh, thank you, whoever did that, Stephen or whoever. Uh, but Christo's an amazing guy. He was the prison guard for Nelson Mandela for all those years. He was the personal prison guard. Even when um, uh, Mandela got moved from Robben Island to another place, he went with him. There's a marvelous book that he's written called um, My Life with Mandela, My Prisoner, My Friend. And their friendship was amazing. I think it was when he took the oath of office that he was sitting right there with Mandela's family. It's it's an amazing story of forgiveness and grace on the part of Mandela. But as you read that book, um, Christo Brand used to have to read the letters that people would write to Mandela, and sometimes he had to censor them, sometimes he had to throw them away if they were politically oriented or whatever. And he would only get a few letters a year from his wife, Winnie, and, and that would just, just leave him so despondent. And, and when you read the book, you realize, gosh, they did everything they could to try to beat him down mentally and spiritually and emotionally. They, they would ration out less food. It was terrible food. They would make him work harder. Uh, they would, you know, tell rumors about what was going on out there and that he had no support whatsoever. It just goes on and on and on. And yet I love what he wrote in 1975 in a letter to his wife while he had been in prison there for many years. And this was to his wife, Winnie. Um, He says, difficulties break some men but make others. No axe is sharp enough to cut the soul of a sinner who keeps on trying one armed with the hope that he will rise even in the end. That's a powerful statement. Might read that again if you don't mind. Difficulties break some men but make others. No axe is sharp enough to cut the soul of a sinner who keeps on trying, one armed with the hope that he will rise again even in the end. You know, this psalm begins with yearning. Yearning to get out of despair. What did David say? As a deer longs for streams of water, so do I long for you, O God. It reminds me of St. Augustine and Augustine's confessions. 
Because Augustine said this, the thought of God stirs the person so deeply that he cannot be content unless he praises you because you have made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they find rest in you. Augustine got depressed sometimes. He got to points of despair. But this was his favorite psalm, and I did not realize that. And in his own teachings, he talks about how this was often used, this psalm was used early in baptisms, which I found interesting in the early church. And, and, and the, the thirst of the deer represents someone who is thirsty, a thirsty soul who needs to be immersed in the living waters of Christ. And so they would sing it and, and read it frequently at baptisms, including Augustine's when he was baptized uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, 387 A.D. He was baptized in the name of who? Jesus Isaiah called him what? A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knew the despair of what? I'll just list a few rejections. Garden of Gethsemane, the cross itself. And yet, it was Jesus who said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, even when they're despairing, for they will be filled. And he has that filled image of water one other place. Powerful verse, John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That's a promise. And we who believe, because of this, we can share that refrain of hope. And I want to ask that since it uh, is mentioned three times in there, let's read that refrain of hope one more time, because this is where it's all pointing. Will you read it with me? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again my Savior, and my God. And so we come to this table that reminds us, helps us to recall what he did for us, the despair he went through for us by the breaking of his body, by the shedding of his blood. I'd like to ask that as I pray, if the deacons who are going to serve would come up and join me uh, during my prayer. Can we pray together? Lord, we're amazed (laughs) sometimes at how overwhelmingly bad life can seem. It just amazes us. It it seems to do us in sometimes. And yet, nevertheless, you, your son, who experienced the worst kind of despair, the most intense kind of despair, did that for us that we might have newness of life and be brought out of it with this wonderful word of hope called the resurrection. So in the long run, in the long run, even as we're honest about our pain now, In the long run, we neither be dismayed nor discouraged, for you are with us every step of the way, and for that we give you thanks. And may what we partake of now be physical images, tangible images of your presence with us, which can get us through all things. We pray these things in your name. Amen.